Gabe Miller here, and I want to personally thank you for checking out our podcast. And I also want to encourage you to click the subscribe button so that each week's message will automatically show up in your feed. Another great way to stay connected with this is on our website at yourimpactchurch.com and on all of our social media outlets at Your Impact Church. I hope this message today encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you. Let's jump into the message. What's up, guys? How are y'all? Hey, um, if you're new to Impact, again, just like he said, we're, we've been walking through the book of Galatians. Um, it, it's not too late to jump in and start reading with us a chapter a chapter a day. There's six chapters, and, um, and just, man, just see what the Lord would speak to you through this book. Um, so this morning we're going to be in chapter 1, so if you have your Bibles with you, if you'll go ahead and, I'm sorry, chapter 4, go ahead and turn to Galatians chapter 4. In chapter 1, uh, we learned that uh, name brands are definitely better than off brands. Um, my kids have really latched on to that one. Um, no, but, but, but seriously, we, we learned what the substance of this letter is going to be about. Right from the beginning, he says, man, I can't believe that you guys are turning from the gospel of Christ over to this off-brand, over to this other gospel, which is not even a real gospel. And um, like, like he, he, he jumps straight into that. And, and from that point on, the whole flow of the book of Galatians centers around the truth of the gospel. He even, he even goes back and he looks at his own personal life in chapter 2. And he says, it, it's like he, he pulls out this, this um, the, the reality that the gospel of Christ for him, for his own life, um, has just has changed his life. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in Galatians chapter 4. Let's, let's start off reading uh, verse 1 through 7. Verse 1 says that I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, he is no different from a slave, though he is owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, so that you're no longer a slave. Somebody say, I'm no longer a slave. You're no longer a slave, but you're a son. If you're a son, then you're an heir through God. Up to this point, Paul has laid down several different arguments from the Old Testament in order to establish the truths of the new covenant that we have with God through Christ. This, uh, this other gospel that, that, that the Galatians were deviating to, it revolved around the idea that Christ was not enough. Uh, this, this seems to be the most common opposition that Paul faces throughout the New Testament. People were teaching that in addition to Christ, that you need this. right? You, you need to add in circumcision. You need to add in all of these different aspects of the law uh, in order to be one of God's people. And Paul ends chapter 3 by noting that we are abraham's offspring his heirs and we're we're his heirs solely because we walk with the faith that abraham walked trusting 
and relying on the promises of God just like Abraham did. Let's, let's walk through verse 1. He says that um, he, he, he continues this argument by kind of painting a picture of what it looks like to be an heir. In verse 1, he says that the heir of the estate, as long as he's a child, right, as long as he's immature, that he's no different than a slave. He's no different than a slave. He, he doesn't step into the fullness of what God has prepared him for. He doesn't step into the, his role of what God has positioned him to do until he is old enough to do so. He has, um, he has some growing up to do. In fact, he might as well be a slave. Um, he's a boss man's son, right? He's the heir, but he's just a worker at this point. When I was, when I was growing up, my, my parents used to own a car wash right over behind Capizzi's. And uh, since I was about six years old, I worked at that car wash, just doing whatever mom and dad told me to do, you know, putting bug juice on the tires and on the wheels and the bumpers and stuff like that um, for a nickel a car. A nickel a car. Uh, we do about 10 cars an hour, right? The boss man's son, the heir, he makes 50 cents, and the hired hands make $4.25. And um, when, I got, when I got older, I graduated up to vacuuming out the cars for a quarter a car. <laughs> so I get $2.50 an hour, and the hired hands get $4.25 an hour. So the heir, he might as well be a slave until he is old enough to step into his role. And for those of you that grew up working for your parents for a living, you said amen to that. Um, So, so Paul continues this picture. He's, he's building this, this, this picture of the relationship between the father, the owner of the state, and his son. And, and last week, we saw that the promise of the gospel was made to Abraham long before the law ever came. God, God made his promises to Abraham before the law had ever come. And, and he illustrates this with a picture of a son, this picture of the son who's been promised everything. He's been made the heir of all things. And yet the the time hasn't come for him to fulfill that role yet. And as I read this, I couldn't help but think, man, I wonder how many of us, how many of us have a little growing up to do before we step into the role that God has has positioned us to do, before he can entrust us with the things of his estate. Like, I think sometimes we don't develop, we, we don't quite have the big picture of God's kingdom at mind all the time we get sidetracked by too many things that are that are not eternal too many things that are inconsequential i mean i'm so i'm a tw- i'm a 12 year old kid working at my parents car wash right it's a full service car wash so you just you pull up you park your car you get out you go in and you tell us what you want um what do you think my favorite thing to do at that car wash is drive the cars right i'm 12 years old i get to sit in the seat of this Hummer, H1, you know, the big boy, and I get to drive that thing around. Um, I was sidetracked by some of the things that were inconsequential to the big picture of what was going on. And I just wonder, I wonder if that's some of us this morning. Um, let, let, let's, I, I want to think about this for a minute. The, the child in verse 2, it says that he's under guardians and managers. Right? We learned last week that, that this... The guardians and the managers, they, they represent the law. 
uh, the whole time that the, the children of Israel were under the law, he, he paints the picture as if they were being trained by the law, that the law was leading them to Christ. Like God's people were in this season until the date that the Father set. God was, he was preparing his estate. He was preparing his kingdom until the time that his offspring would step into their roles that he had played, that he had prepared them for, that he had, that they were in place as sons and daughters, right? And, and it's 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 this picture of of his children, of his children, stepping into the fullness of what God has entrusted them with. Romans Romans chapter eight says it says that all creation groans, waiting for the sons of God to be revealed. And, and I'll tell you this morning, we're in that time right now. Like this is the time that he's talking about in verse 4 when he said the fullness of time, when the fullness of time had come. This is the season that the sons and the daughters of God are being revealed. All of Scripture from the Old Testament has all been looking back. I'm sorry, it's been looking forward to this time that we're in right now. This time that he has given us the privilege to start pressing against the kingdom of darkness. To start pressing against the armies of of darkness to start snatching sons right out of the destruction that they're in, right? To, to step up as our role as children, Christ, Christ said as a 12-year-old boy, his parents asked him, what, what have you been doing? What, when they, they lost him back in Jerusalem and they go and they find him, they're like, where, where have you been? And as a 12-year-old kid, he said, don't you, must, don't you know I must be about my father's business? Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? And so I would ask you to write this question down for yourself. The first thing would be, how am I doing at managing my father's estate? How am I doing at managing my father's estate? If, if you're a believer in Christ this morning, then you have essentially passed from childhood into your role in place of an heir, a place of responsibility. And, and I just wonder, are we living in the big picture reality of that? Like, are we, are we living our lives day in and day out with this realization? Or are we sidetracked by things that really have no eternal consequence? In verse 5, in verse 5, he mentions adoption. It says, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Adoption for the Romans was, was a lot different than what, than what we understand it to be. The um, adoption for the Jews really wasn't as, as prominent as it was for the Romans. As a matter of fact, if you look through Roman history, 10 of their emperors were all adopted. They were adopted. The, um, first of all, the, the Romans, they didn't adopt babies. They, it, it, it wasn't the benevolent act that we see it as today, and uh, they, didn't, uh, they didn't adopt girls either. Sorry, ladies. just wasn't happening. Um, but, but here's the beauty of that. In the first century, it was the Christians that would go and they would take these unwanted baby girls and they would say, hey, we'll take that one. We'll take her because we know that she's made in the image of God. And that's what drastically set them apart from the people around them. Don't throw her away. <laughs> Don't throw her away. We'll take them. Um, the, the idea behind Roman do adoption was exactly what we've been looking at this morning with the, this, this idea of the heir. The Romans wanted to find that person that they would pl put in the place. And they called it pater familia, which means father of the family. 
they're looking for that individual that they could put in the place of running the estate that they were over. They're looking for that person that was qualified, that person that's capable of stepping in and taking that role. And you might be thinking, well, uh, that's not me. Like, I'm not qualified. What, what, what qualifies me to step into that role? I'm not, I'm not qualified for that. And, um, and you would be right in thinking that. However, comma, Galatians 1.12 says that Paul writes, he says, I was giving thanks to the Father because the Father has qualified us. The Father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints and the light. God has qualified you this morning. If you're trusting in Christ, somebody say, I'm qualified then. I'm qualified. And how is it that we're qualified? Look at verse 6 in this text. It says that God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. That's what makes you qualified. That's what makes you qualified. I I don't want to spend a whole lot of time here, but the last few words of this verse, in verse 6, are just, they're powerful. They're emotionally charged. The word crying there, it's it's kradzon. And it sounds like what it really is. Like if you were to read that, it would, there would be a lot of emphasis on kradzon. It's crying out. The Spirit of God cries out in our hearts. And what's He crying out? He's crying out, Abba. Abba. Papa. Dad. That's what the Spirit of God in us cries out. If you ever have the chance to hear a lot of Israeli children running around, you're going to hear them hollering out, Abba. Abba, after their dad. And, and this, this morning, this is your heritage. This is your heritage. As a son or a daughter of Christ, you have the privilege to approach the Father as Dad, as Abba, as Papa. He's, he's, he's a good, good Father. How, how many of you times, how, how many of you remember that time that, that you just, like something changed in you and you realized He is a good Father? You realize that I, I, don't, I don't have to wonder if I can trust him this morning. I know that I can trust him. I don't have to wonder if I'm forgiven this morning. I can look to the cross and I can know that I'm forgiven. I can know that he's good. I can know that he has my best interests at heart. You can look to the cross as God's demonstration of his fatherly love for you. And I would ask you this morning, have you found your way to the Father? Every one of you, have you found your way to the Father? His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus, and he said, I'm the way. I'm the way that you get to the Father. Let's keep on reading. Uh, I've got, so I wanted to put verses 3 and then verses 8 through 11 on the screen together because they connect with each other. Verse 3 says, in the same way also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. In verse 8, he says, he's talking to the Galatians, he says, Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather are known by God, how can you turn again to the weak and the worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves that you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. And then he says, I'm afraid that I may have labored over you 
in vain. Paul continues, he contrasts the difference between the young child, right, the young child of immaturity, and then the heir that has stepped into his role as, as, as the heir of the estate. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute because he's telling the Galatians in this, in this, in this text, he says, you're, you're going back to the elementary principles. But when you think about that, when I read that, I'm like, well, how? The Galatians were never under the law. Like when you look back in, in verse 3, we know that that guardian, that guardian and the steward that, that, that the child was under, that's representative of that time when they were under the law. But for the Galatians, for the Galatians, they were never under the law, just kind of like for us. We've never been under the law of the Mosaic Covenant. And so you would ask yourself, well, what are those elementary principles? And, and I believe he's, he says it in verse 8, he says they were enslaved to those things that are not God's. I would believe, I believe it's their pagan religions. It's their philosophies. Ultimately, it's their, it's their way of life without Christ, without Christ. And yet now, they're brought out of that life. They're brought into the gospel of Christ, and then now they choose to deviate away and follow after things, rules, and regulations. And he calls them the elementary principles, the ABCs of life, if you want to look at it that way. And when I read that, I, I thought, well, well how, are they, how are they turning back again? They've never, they've never been under it. But, but if you think about it, all religions of the world, including Mosaic, Covenantal, Judaism, all religions of the world are centered around external things, doing things, trying to earn your way into God's grace. Judaism, Judaism is a system that man has devised. Judaism, Judaism is man taking God's law and then devising a system whereby he develops a righteousness that can be achieved by doing the things in the law right right standing with god our right standing with god could never can never be earned it can never be it can never be obtained by anything that you do right standing with god could never come by following the law in philippians chapter 3 paul calls it a big old pile of dung I would use other words, but it's just a big old pile of dung. Um, I, I like to say it like this, as far as the law goes. One cannot be justified by the law. One cannot stay justified by the law. Right? I, I don't want any of you to think, well, we come to Christ because of the gospel of grace, and then I've got to do everything in the law in order to keep it. And let me tell you this this morning. One does not become unjustified by the law either. There's nothing, there's nothing that you could ever do to take away if you are trusting in Christ this morning. There's no, there's no offense whereby of the law that you could ever think, man, I'm not right with God now. I want you to know that, that, that the gospel of Christ is that Christ, hung his, he stretched out his hands and he said, it's finished. I've done every bit of it this morning so, in, in, thinking of, in thinking of what the Galatians were after, I, you would ask yourself, well, so they come out of their paganism. They come into the gospel of Christ. What, what were they after then? Why, why, move on, why move on to the law? Why move out of this gospel of grace? 
And, and Paul uses the imagery here in chapter 4 of maturity, and I think there's a, a specific reason for that. And, my, and that brings me to the next thing that I would have you write down, and, and, and it's this. I don't think that you ever outgrow the gospel. I don't think that you ever outgrow the gospel. In verses 1 through 11, he, he paints the picture of a boy that's growing up in a maturity. And we know that from the last several weeks that the Galatians were turning to a different gospel and i just wonder if it's because they think well we're we 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 understand the gospel now we've got to move on to the deep stuff right we understand the gospel of christ we've got to move on to the other store the other stuff like this like the gospel is that that stepping stone onto the better stuff and 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 i feel like sometimes we come to a basic understanding of the gospel and then we think Oh, I've got that. Now I need to move on to other stuff. Now I need to move on to greater stuff. I need to move on to the spiritual stuff. And, and, and hear me out. We're, we're, a, we're a church that believes that all the spiritual gifts are still operational like they ever were. Amen? But let me tell you something. Those gifts are given to us to witness to this gospel. Acts chapter 1, in Acts chapter 1, when, Paul, when, when Jesus is about to ascend, he says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, and you're going to be endued with power. But what were they going to be endued with power to? He said to witness. You're going to witness to me. You're going to go and you're going to proclaim the message of the gospel of grace. You're going to go and you're going to, like Paul, I'm going to reveal my son in you. People are going to see the gospel. They're not only going to hear it, but they're going to see the evidence of it in your life. The gospel message that Jesus gave himself for our sins, it's not a prerequisite. It's not a stepping stone into other things. It's, we, we like new things, right? We're, we're, we're a people that likes new things. When, when Paul visited Athens in chapter 17, in, in Acts chapter 17, Luke wrote about the philosophical view of the Athens, the Athenians. And he writes this in Acts 17, 21. He said that the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there, they would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. This is what they spent their time doing. They will just tell us something new. We're waiting on the next new thing. And I just wonder if that's not a lot of churches today that they are tired of the old story of Jesus and his blood. Right, give me something that's gonna make my wife act right. Right, give me give me something that's gonna fix my finances. My money went funny. Um, let me let me give you three reasons why I believe that the Galatians wanted to move on to to greater things. The first one is man pleasing. Back in chapter one, verse ten, Paul writes, "If I were pleasing man, that I wouldn't be a servant of Christ." I th- I think part of that is they wanted to please man. I think the second reason is they were trying to be justified. In 2.12, he says, Paul writes, in our endeavor to be justified, and I just wonder if this was their attempt in thinking that, well, we've got to do all of this other stuff in order to stay right with God. At no point in your walk with Christ is there ever, ever, ever going to be anything you can do to be right with God, to, to stay right or get right with God. You're right standing, and, I, and I'm just going to, I'm going to hammer this in, and, and hopefully throughout the rest of this book, 
we continue to do that, but if you're trusting in Christ this morning for, with, for forgiveness, if you're casting yourself on the only hope that Scripture offers, then your past sin, your present sin, and I'll tell you, your future sin is all done. Every bit of it. Every bit of it. That is the power of the gospel. It was finished and settled at the cross. And I believe that it is our failure to understand this, our failure to just really grasp how much that he's given us in our place as sons and daughters, I think that's what keeps us stuck on stupid. I think that's what keeps us going back to the same old stuff that God brought us out of. You know, Peter writes about that. He said, man, the thing, the, the person who does that, he forgot that he was cleansed from his sins. He doesn't know what it means to be a child, a son of God. I think the last reason that I, I believe they're doing this is, is, is they thought that this was their way of maturity. They thought, well, if we go back to the things in the law, then we're going to grow. Right? If we start doing all this stuff, we're going to grow in the things of God. Look at verse 10 in the text. It says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. If, if you've ever powered through the first five books of the Bible, then you're going to come across a list of celebrations, of feasts, of weeks, Passover, Jubilee, Tabernacles, first fruits, all of these different celebrations and this is this is what the galatians were adding on to the gospel well you've got to you've got to believe the gospel but then you've got to be circumcised and then you've got to then you've got to celebrate all of these feasts and everything and, and and i think that sometimes i think that we can we can go through the bible and we can innocently come to the conclusion well well god commanded all these things so if god commanded them we got to do them right but i would ask you where does that end where does it end? At the festivals? Does it end with the Ten Commandments? How about, I don't know, if you've read through the book of Leviticus, how about wearing clothes that are all made out of one type of fabric? How many of you broke that one this morning? Check your tags, it's probably 50-50. How about, how, about, how about eating catfish? Anybody like eating catfish in here? Could you imagine a life without bacon? Leviticus 11.19 says not to eat bats. I'm sure that we probably could have stuck with that one. Um, but, but seriously, wh where, where does the slippery slope of legalism, where does it end? Right? I mean, where, if you, when you start going into this stuff, there, there is no end point. Right? That's the whole point. It, it, it is impossible to keep it to a T. Guys, I, I, like, I like doing stuff. I like being involved with ministries. I think that every one of you need to sign up right now to be part of our kids, right? That's what you're called to do. Um, and, and, and I like that as a church we find opportunities to serve. I, I'm pretty sure that Ephesians 2.10 has been mentioned every single week, I think. It's that, that we're, we're God's workmanship, that he has prepared works for us to walk in. And I think that God has prepared works like I, kids, for you to walk in. But let me tell you something. None of these things are going to gain you a better standing with God. None of these things are going to make God love you anymore. None of these things are going to make up for the sin that you did last week. None of these things are going to grow. God will use these things to grow. But, it, but, it, but the parable of the seed says that God gives the increase. God is the one who's going to give the increase, and that's because Christ, the Spirit of His Son, is living in you.
Let's move on to verses to the next section. Verse 12. Paul writes, Brothers, I entreat you to become as I am, for I also became like you are. He's, he's basically saying, hey, put away your Judaism. Like, I, I put away my Judaism to be like you guys, and now you guys are the Jews. Um, you did me no wrong. You know that it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you didn't scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Apparently, when you read this, you, you realize that Paul had some kind of bodily issue going on, some kind of sickness. As a matter of fact, he said this sickness was the, the very reason that it, that, that gave me the opportunity in order to preach the gospel to you, right? It was a sickness that opened the door for him to preach the gospel. And I wonder how often that we're concerned with God only getting us out of the trial instead of looking for the opportunities that God gives us in the trial. There's no greater test. There's no greater test of where your focus is than when you're sick. Right? How many of you wives in here, you realize that you married a big old baby <laughs> when he's sick? That's my wife will tell you. Um, get me some soup. Get me something to drink. Let's keep on reading verse 15. Verse 15 says, What then has become of your blessedness? I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They, talking about these people teaching Judaism, they make much of you. I'm sorry. Yeah, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out so that you may make much of them. He says they want to shut you out. They want to exclude you so that you may make much of them. This is the intent of the people that were bringing in Judaism. They, they wanted to, to basically put this fence up around this extra biblical fence up around the flock of Christ and say, yeah, but you've got to do this too. I, I, know, that, I know that's what Paul preached, but, but this boundary right here, you're not God's people until you become circumcised or until you follow this aspect of the law, until you do X, Y, and Z. And that's exactly what all of the world religions do. They, and I think we have to be careful even as Christians um, because we're prone to do the same thing, right? Baptism, we, we just had a baptism service here last week, and that was, that was awesome. It was amazing. Um, but baptism, it's not a fence around the flock. Right? It, it's not, this, that's not a requirement for you to be one of God's children. That's the first step of obedience. Speaking in tongues, it's not a fence around the flock. Right? It's, it's a gift that God has given us, but people will teach that if you're not saved, if you don't speak in tongues, and I'll stand up here and say you're wrong. People will say that you're not saved if you're not a Calvinist, and I'll say you're, you're wrong. You're not an, if you're not an Arminian, you're, you, you're all of those things, those requirements outside of Christ. And, and here's the thing, Paul's adamant about this. I mean, the dude in, first cha in, the, in the first chapter of the book he curses anybody who tries to add to that. I think it's a pretty big deal. Right? It's, it's big enough for him to, read, to write a whole letter about it. 
Let's keep on reading verses 18. It says, It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I'm perplexed about you. If you have a copy of God's word made out of a tree this morning, I would tell you to underline that. Right? Or, or yeah, I think you can do it on the Bible app too. That, that phrase that says, until Christ is formed in you. And that brings me to my third point this morning. I don't believe that you outgrow the gospel. I believe that the gospel grows in you. The gospel grows in you. Paul uses intimate language here that he doesn't use in any other epistle. He, in, other, in other letters, he, he talks about this father-child relationship that he has with the believers. But this phrase, my little children, it's one of John's favorite, uh, favorite things to, to use. But this is Paul's only time that he uses this phrase, my little children. Let, let's look back at the text again. And I want to I back up to 15 for just a second. Paul asked him, he says, what has become of your blessedness? What has become of your blessedness? He, he looks back to the time when he first came to the Galatians and he, and he preached. And he's like, man, I was sick. I had some stuff going on. And you guys received me. What happened? What happened to the fire that you used to have? What happened to the transformative power that I saw at work in your life? There was... I saw change. I saw joy. I saw delight. There was, there was evidence that God had done something in your heart. And then in verse 16, he says, man, after all that, am I now your enemy? Am I now your enemy? As a father caring for his children in the word, Paul says that he nurtured them with the pure milk of the gospel. And now he was the person that they are despising he's the bad guy what happened to the transformation and i wish that i could say that this just happens in the early churches of galatia but it happens throughout churches everywhere and 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 here's the thing this passage tells us why this passage tells us why it, it, it happened earlier we talked about people trying to put up fences around the flock Check out, check out 4.17, and, I, and I've got this in a different translation. Galatians 4.17 says, Those people are working hard to persuade you, but this is not good for you. They want to persuade you to turn against us. They want you to follow only them. When a ministry's sole purpose revolves around making followers of their own dogma instead of making followers of Christ, Bitterness, bitterness, resentment, those are the characteristics of those followers. Come follow us because you really won't grow in the things of God unless you're doing it our way. Right? Come follow us because if you're not with us, then you're being led astray. Let me, get, let, let me get back to this idea of the gospel growing in you. In verse 19, he says that Christ would be formed in you. I've got five verses out of the book of Galatians that I want to throw up there. Galatians 1, 15 through 16. 
He says, when, when he who sent me apart, even from my mother's womb, and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me. Notice that. Well, he was, God was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but it is Christ living in me. Galatians 3.27 says, as many as you were baptized in Christ, you put on Christ. So Christ is in me. Christ is all around me. In, in verse 6 this morning, we saw that he put his spirit in our hearts. And in 19, he says, I'm laboring until Christ is formed in you. Do you, do you see the, the goal that Paul has in mind? This is the, the, the idea that Christ, that Christ would be revealed in his people I believe that our end goal here at Impact, I think this is it. I think that if, if you were to sum up the goal of Impact Church, it would be that Christ would be formed in each and every one of you. That Christ would be formed, that we would become more like him, that we would sound more like him, right? That, that we would look more like him when I respond to my wife and my children as Christ would, everybody wins, Right? My wife and my children win. I'm still working on that one. When Christ, when Christ lives through me in the workplace, my boss wins. My coworkers win. Um, when Christ lives through me as I drive down through downtown through every one of those ridiculous stop signs, everybody wins because Christ is living in me and I have a good attitude while I do it. And I yield to the right every time. That, that's why we want you in a group. That, that's why we want you involved in ministry because it gives the opportunity for Christ to be manifested through your life. It gives the opportunity for Christ to live through your hands and your mouth. These are opportunities for Christ to be manifested in you individually and us corporately. The last section, let's go to the last section of, of Scripture here. It's going to be verses 21. 21 through uh, to 31. He, Paul ends this last section with an allegory. This is, he, he reaches back into the law and he pulls out this story of Abraham and his two sons. And he makes a, a contrast between the old covenant of law and the new covenant of grace. Let's read starting in verse 21. He says, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it's written that Abraham had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are the two covenants. One's from Sinai and it bears children for slavery. She's Hagar. Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present-day Jerusalem, and she is in slavery with her children, but the Jerusalem above is free. She is our mother. Let me lay out for just a second what he's doing right here. This, this is Paul's last attempt to look back at the law and say, hey, the new covenant's not only better, but it's always been God's plan. This, this isn't something that just came onto the scene after Jesus. This is, this is God's plan from the beginning. As a matter of fact, Revelation says that he is the lamb slain from when? 
from the foundation of the world. It was always God's plan to redeem all of creation, which includes you, and invite those that would believe into covenant relationship as sons and daughters of His. Now, if you think about the way that he's laying out this, this comparison, like I don't think that this is going to be the message that he would have brought into the Sabbath service at the synagogues. I mean, I mean the, the, the big thing that the Jews, their, their heritage, right, their, their big confidence was that, hey, I'm a child of Abraham. Right? I, I have, I'm a child of the covenant. I'm a child of Isaac. And Paul's like, yeah, yeah, I know, but um, really God kind of sees you like children of Ishmael. <laughs> you, you really, I, I know that you're by the flesh, you're, you're children of Isaac, but God really considers you children of the slave woman. And if you're, you know, if you're wondering if you're wondering what's wrong with Paul's eyes back in verse 15, it's probably from saying stuff like this inside of a Jewish synagogue. Um, Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac. And pr most of you probably know the story. God blesses Abraham. He promises a blessing upon all of his descendants that all nations would be blessed because of him. And then 11 years later, Right, Sarah has to twist his arm in order to make him sleep with her handmaid. Um, and he conceives a son. His name is Ishmael. Verse 23 in our text calls it the son of the slave. The son of the slave. Paul looks back on the story and he says, this is, here's your two covenants. Here's your two covenants. Ishmael's born. That's a picture of those that are in slavery to the law. Isaac is born, that's a picture of the heir. That's a picture of the one who believes in the promises of God. So let's, let's finish reading, and then we'll look at the rest of this. Verse 27 says, For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who, do, who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. And it's talking about Sarah. For, for the children of the desolate one, her, will be more than the children of her who has a husband. Verse 28, Now you brothers, you brothers are like Isaac. You're children of the promise. But just as at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, because the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we're not children of the slave, but we are children of the free woman. All throughout this text, this last text, he takes the two covenants. He takes Ishmael and then he takes Isaac and he's, all, he's, he's drawing parallels and contrasts between the two. I've got a slide that kind of shows some of the comparisons of the two covenants and there's, there's no way that we're going to be able to work through them all, but they're going to be on the, the, the sermon notes on the app. So if you want to go back and look at these, you can go back and look on the, the, the church app at the sermon notes. But on the slide, you're going to notice the names of, the, of their mothers and, um, and what their, their names mean. Hagar, Hagar means flight. It means to flee, right? She, she's Egyptian. 
and, and it's symbolic of this time when, if, if you think about it, the law was born out of a time when the Israelites were fleeing from Egypt. And so this, is, this is interesting because this happens 400 years before that they were, the Israelites were ever in Egypt. But the law was born out of an event where the Israelites were fleeing from Egypt. Sarah's name comes from the Hebrew word for prince, Sar. And her sons, under the new covenant, are birthed into a royal family. Peter would call it a royal priesthood. Ish- Ishmael's name, it means heard by God. Ishmael, heard by God. If you go back in the text and you look at this, where this takes place, you, you're going you're to see that Hagar states that God has heard my affliction. God has heard my affliction. And that affliction is symbolic of being enslaved to the law. So whereas under the law God hears affliction, what does he hear under grace? Isaac's name means laughter. It means joy. You see the difference between the, the, the two covenants. There's, there's, but there's one point on here, and, and as we close, the worship team can go ahead and come forward. Um, I want to hone in on one particular aspect of the comparison. In verse 23 and in verse 28, Paul mentions that we are children of promise. He mentions that we're children of promise. The, the word promise in this book is used ten times. Twice in chapter 4, he uses the word promise. Eight times in chapter 3, he uses the word promise. Long ago, God made a promise to Abraham and said, I will bless all nations. I will bless all nations because of your descendants. What's he trying to say? The promise that he's talking about is for you. And it's for you. And it's for you. You're, you. You're all nations. Every one of you in here has the privilege and the opportunity of taking advantage of this promise. What's the promise? What is the promise that God has promised us? This is, this is God's promise to make you a son or a daughter. This is God's promise to allow you into a covenantal relationship as a son, as a daughter. It's his promise to make you right with him. It's a promise to take away everything that separates you from relationship with him. And it's a promise to bring you into his family. It's a promise to redeem creation and you are part of creation. But it's, it's, not, just, it's not just to make you a son or a daughter in position. It's God's promise to make you a son or a daughter in essence. That's why he puts a spirit in you. He wants to form himself in you. He wants to make you like him, and he will do that. Philippians 1.6 says that he started the thing, he's going to finish it. He started the thing, he is going to finish it. If you're here this morning and you're not trusting in Christ for salvation, if you're not in a relationship with the Father, then you're invited. This, this promise is for you. It's for every single one of you this morning. And it's not based upon you. It's based upon God's love for you. It's based upon God's desire to make you a son or daughter. Prayer teams, if you'll come forward. Um, guys, you're invited this morning.
Every one of you is invited this morning. Come down and let us pray for you. Come down and let us talk through what it means to be our son or a daughter of the Father. If there's anything going on in your body, come down and let's, let's take it to the Father. We're his kids. He invites us. He invites us to draw toward the throne. Hebrews says boldly, with confidence. Confidence in his goodness. Confidence that he's going to treat you like a son or a daughter. Let's close with some prayer and then we'll, then we'll worship together. Father, we're so thankful for your goodness, for your grace, and for your mercy, for your love that you pour out on each and every one of us. Father, we're so thankful for what you've done for us, for, for us to be made right with you. And Father, I pray that you would draw each and every person that needs prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.